Father God, we lift up tonight's sermon right now. What a presence of the Lord is here. I just thank you, Lord, for your fresh touch, your fresh wind of heaven in this place. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get totally locked in and focused to give you our best and full attention with eyes and ears of the Spirit to be able to see and hear what you're speaking. And that the Word of God will go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth sown in a good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, will take root, grow, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. We thank you, Lord, for it. We bless you. In the mighty name of Jesus. All right. How many knows the Lord is not through with America? I want to entitle this sermon tonight, America Ablaze. Okay, that's what I want to call it. There's been prophecies about a great move of God coming to America. A great revival. I believe it's already begun. And when Dr. Cho had prophesied, and I've told you guys many times, that just for those that maybe haven't heard the prophecies, when Dr. Cho prophesied over America, he said the Lord spoke to him and said he's not through with America, and that revival would would begin in Pensacola and burn like a matchhead. And then it would spread 50 miles west. Then it would uh, eventually back its way. I believe Louisiana was mentioned, but it back its way back into Florida and go up the east coast, then across the nation to the southwest, and then shoot up the, the west to the Pacific Northwest, and then all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival. So we're in that process. Revival's already begun. And I'm excited about the days ahead. I really am. But some things that I want to cover in this, I want to answer some questions because people are concerned about America. They're concerned about the direction it's going. And I'm hoping that after this sermon that you're not going to be, you're not going to be discouraged about things, that this will give you a different perspective. It will give you more of heaven's perspective, if you will. Because when you look at the things in the natural, it's easy to get discouraged by that, isn't it? But when you really seek the Lord and get into His Word and you begin to see it from His perspective, it looks different. From an eternal perspective, from from an end-time prophetic perspective. Not just from our lifetime and what we're seeing right now, but, but looking at the whole big scope of what God's doing in the earth. And as I close out this series, God has promised in the last days He's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And I've heard some credible people that, that have given prophetic words in the body of Christ. I'm going to share some of those tonight. But I've heard about a changing of the guard. God, God is, is moving where there's people that have been like David's in caves, so to speak, that are about to emerge. There's nameless, faceless ones that are coming forth. There's, there's a move of God that is going to be sovereign and supernatural. And God is going to confirm His word with signs and wonders. And all these things are happening. These are prophetic words. That have been released to the body of Christ and it's happening. How I many of you guys love a true word from the Lord? Amen. So, let me give you a few things and then I'm going to get into this sermon tonight. This is going to be a little bit different. I really feel like this is going to bless you. I do. I, I was reading over this and it just encouraged me so much. But let me tell you that revival is the only answer for this nation. That's it. People get all, you know, caught up in different things. I believe in voting for righteousness and all that, and that's what I do. But I'm going to tell you that revival is the only answer. And let me give you some things from heaven's perspective. We are going headlong into the last days. I want you to follow me with this. This is important. 
we are going right in, we're in the last days and we're going headlong quickly into the last days where things are moving rapidly that direction. With that said, the political systems of the world are making way for the rise of the Antichrist. As you know, Bible prophecy has to be fulfilled. That means there has to be an Antichrist. And there has to be a government of the world starting to come together for that to even happen. That has to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen. So when you look at things like what's going on in American government and governments of the world, you can get discouraged. Especially in America because we've had in the past, we've had a lot of godly influence in our nation. But let me tell you that for biblical prophecy to be fulfilled, the political systems of the world are going to make way for this Antichrist rise. It's just going to happen. So don't be so discouraged. Be encouraged at the fact that the Lord's coming is near. And quit getting so focused on what God is allowing in the nations to fulfill end-time prophecy and focus on the kingdom of God and Jesus' coming. The second thing is the worldwide negative attitude toward Israel is a sign of the times. Now, I want to encourage you just for a moment to think about this just and just use your common sense. You've got this little... Have you, you guys ever looked at Israel? It's probably the size of what, like Florida maybe? I mean, it's this little bitty nation. Little bitty. And it's right there in the middle of the world and it's this little bitty nation that minds its own business. They don't go around launching rockets at people like you know to start a fight. They don't. They only retaliate whenever they're being picked on. They, they don't try to mess with anybody. Why is the world in an uproar about this nation? It doesn't even make sense. Does, do you see where I'm going with this? It doesn't make sense that they're always in the news. Somebody's always wanting their destruction. So many people keep picking fights with them, keep launching rockets, and keep on and on. It doesn't make sense. Unless you understand Bible prophecy, and then it makes complete sense. But this worldwide negative attitude toward Israel is a sign of the times. And it's going to culminate when, at the very end of all things, the Battle of Armageddon, it says the nations of the world will march toward Israel. And Jesus will come and deal with that. The crashing of the world's economic system is making way for the unification of currency and the mark of the beast. Some of you guys, you look at the dollar and you look at how our economic system is going and it looks like we're crossing a point of no return. It looks like things are bleak. But what you've got to understand, and I'm here to encourage you about this, is that it's Bible prophecy being fulfilled. For there to be a mark of the beast, that means that the world's economy has got to somehow come together. It has to. Because that's the only way that this one world government is going to be able to police who has a mark and who doesn't. How is somebody in somewhere in Europe going to know if somebody down in South America has a mark of the beast or not unless there's some kind of unification so I know that you look at the American dollar and you look at the way things are going in the economy and I know in the natural, you look at that and you say, man, that is so frustrating and discouraging. Why can't they get their act together? 
I'm telling you because God is allowing it because Bible prophecy has to be fulfilled. And we are going to have to practice what we preach and live by faith in the days to come. But let me also encourage you about this. God knew when He places people on the earth, He knows when you were going to be born and you were chosen to be born at this time. You're supposed to be alive in this generation, the age that you are. And God chose you as Christians. He chose that you would be here right at this pivotal time where we're at a dispensational change from the church age to the second coming of Christ. Right at that time. The last day harvest. The last day revival. You're living to see things that great prophets of old, thousands of years ago, prophesied and they saw it by the Holy Spirit. They saw these days and they prophesied these days, but they died thousands of years ago. And you're seeing it unfold in your lifetime before your eyes. And you were chosen to be here at this time. America is being pulled by God off of the world scene as a superpower because of end time prophecy must be fulfilled. Some of you look at it and you've known in your lifetime America being this great superpower and God has really blessed America and I love America. It's the best place to be in my opinion. But I'm going to tell you that God is allowing it to be pulled down because for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, you have nations like Russia and China and others being able to do what the Bible says they are going to do. America's going to have to be pulled back. Because America in the, the, the America that we've known would not put up with it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so for God to allow this Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, He's allowing America to come down some to where it's not going to be like a sheriff among the nations anymore. And God is also wanting, I believe this in my heart, God is wanting Israel to quit depending on America and start depending on Him. I believe that. Key players in the end times will be Europe, Russia, China, Turkey, Iran, Egypt, and other Middle Eastern countries. Those will be on the forefront. You don't read in Bible prophecy anything about America. Let me reiterate this again. The only true hope for America is an awesome national revival on a scale of an awakening. And it is beginning. And I'm encouraged because no, there's people all over the world right now, literally all over the world, that, that would give anything to have the move of God in their country that we're just having right now. And it's just started. It's just started. It's just a baby. They would give anything to have the moves of God that's going on like right now with the, the Bay Revival and different hubs where God's Spirit is dwelling like at Bethel or IHOP and, and, and moves of God that are taking place through like Benny Hinn meetings and, and Rodney Howard Brown meetings and other moves of God. They, they would give anything to have that in their nation right now. But we are going to definitely have to live by faith in the days to come for financial provision and protection. Okay, So let me go ahead and, and jump into this sermon. I, I believe this will bless you. 
America does have a history, though, a very godly history. Our founding fathers were godly people. As a matter of fact, the pilgrims, just in a nutshell, the pilgrims that came over here, the early 1600s, they were, they were actually like a church. You know, they, they, were, they were so such godly people that the Church of England, it had split off the Catholic Church, but it was still very corrupt. And the Puritans, that was the pilgrims, they were labeled Puritans and Separatists because they still didn't approve of all the stuff going on in the Church of England. And, and there were, it had come together with the state and the queen had mandated that people go to the Church of England. They could be fined. Okay, they could be fined for not going. And so here they were coming against this religious institution living for Jesus. And that's the whole reason why they left England and came here was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the pursuit of freedom. They wanted to be free from that tyranny. And let me give you something Patrick Henry said in 1765, a speech at the House of Burgesses. It cannot be emphasized too clearly and too often that this nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. John Adams said, The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I believe, and now believe, that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. That was his attitude. He said, it is impossible. Our first president had that, had a heart like that. Such a humble heart. He said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. Abraham Lincoln, my favorite president, he said, he was talking about the Bible. He said, this great book is the greatest gift God has given to man. That's how much he loved the Bible. Benjamin Franklin, in the Constitutional Convention of 1787, said, we have been assured in the sacred writings about the Bible that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. In other words, he was saying unless the Lord build America, it's just going to be another Babel. John Hancock, A Day of Fasting. Humiliation and prayer. I'll read you a few stories, but throughout our history, every time America got in trouble, our leaders would call the nation, and they, they said this, we call the nation to a day of humiliation, prayer, and fasting. By humiliation, they meant to humble yourself. And they would encourage people to not work that day, but just spend the day in prayer and fasting and humbling yourself. And I've read a book, there's over 40 or something like 42 different miracles that have been documented that the nation prayed and God moved historically on one of these days John Hancock a day of uh, fasting humiliation and prayer with total abstinence from labor and recreation a proclamation was made on April 15 1775 
And he said, in circumstances as dark as these, it becomes us as men and Christians to reflect that whilst every prudent measure should be taken to ward off the impending judgments, at the same time, all confidence must be withheld from the means we use and reposed only on that God rules in the armies of heaven and without his whole blessing, the best human counsels are but foolishness. And I'll read you one more. Thomas Jefferson is in excerpts that are inscribed on the walls of the Jefferson Memorial in the nation's capital. Or the nation's capital. He said, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Where is America at today right now? Spiritually speaking. Let me read you some things. But I'm going to tell you this too. In the nation of Wales, they were at an all-time low spiritually. See, people think, well, in Wales, this great awakening happened, the Welsh revival, hundreds of thousands. I know God promised uh, Evan Roberts 100,000, but there was a lot more than that that came to know the Lord. Hundreds of thousands were swept into the kingdom. Mighty revival shook the whole nation. And they think, well, surely the whole nation was praying and fasting and and everybody was humbling themselves and going after God. That could not be further from the truth. That, na- that nation was far from God. It was a dark time. But God still showed up. And how many knows that dry wood catches fire fast? Amen. And sometimes God will allow things to really get to a low point and then he'll visit. Let me give you some statistics. And real quick, let me say something about God's nature. I was trying to think of a good example about this, but a lot of people view God. This is how a lot of people view Him. If you go out on the streets and do street evangelism, they think God is this big combat boot in the sky. And He's just waiting for you to mess up so He can squish you like a bug. That's the way most people view God. That can't be further from the truth. God so loved the world that He was willing to give His Son as a sacrifice. And God is not up there, you know, waiting to squish anybody. He has set things in motion. There is blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Now, you could take somebody on the workplace. This is not the best example, but it'll work. You take somebody and you give them a job and you say, Listen, if you will take this iron rod I'm about to put in your hand and every day you will use it for this, 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 and this and do this with it and this with it, then... It's going to work on this assembly line. That's your job. It's going to be productive, and then you're going to get this great paycheck, and you'll be blessed, okay? Do you see what I'm saying? But they said over here, if you take that same metal rod and you place it over here, there's live wires over here, and if you touch this, you're going to get burned and electrocuted, and it's going to hurt you bad. And that person goes in there, and they don't take the warning serious. And they take that metal rod and they're being productive and productive and they're always looking over there. And sure enough, they've got to go over there and test it and they get hurt. That's kind of like blessings and curses. God says, if you, he said, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. If you choose to live right and obey my word, you'll be blessed. But if you choose to sin, it brings with it curses and consequences that I don't want you to have. But I've given you free will to have either one. And look at Adam and Eve. I give you all the trees. Just don't 
thousands of trees, I'm sure, thousands, just this one. And what are the, what's the first thing they do? They eat from the one tree. So that's the way a lot of times human nature is. God tells people, I love humanity. I'm setting before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, I said all of that because I want you to understand God's heart. The curses for disobedience in Scripture, God has allowed blessings and curses on people and nations based on their obedience to His Word. Curses that can come on a nation because of sin are things like this. Incurable diseases. And this is in the Bible. You can read Deuteronomy 28, I believe it is, and Leviticus 26 in those areas. But things that can come on a nation is incurable diseases, destructive mold, drought, irrational fear, insanity, blindness. Crops will fail and be diseased. Children not born healthy. Marriages fall apart. Nation would fall into debt and enemies would overtake them. These were the curses for disobedience. And God has dealt with sinful, sinful nations in the past. But let's just look at America for a second. Just look at the Ten Commandments. It says, Thou shalt not kill. Abortion murders over 100,000 monthly and over 18,000 murders a year. There were over 200,000 murders in America in the 90s, half of which were never solved. What about Thou shalt not commit adultery? USA Today reports 50 to 60 of married couples, 50 to 60% of married couples admit to adultery. And 75% of our population practices premarital sex. 45 million people are reported to have herpes. And 33% of all births are to unmarried mothers. What about thou shalt not steal? Theft has cost our country $500 billion each year. $1.2 million per year in the U.S. according to the FBI. 13 million people a year are victims of crime, and 1.5 million of those are violent crimes. What about thou shalt not lie? 62% of Americans profess Christianity, while 91% admit to lying on a regular basis. Or thou shalt not covet. America's, Americans now are visiting casinos more than ever before. Professional sporting events and their lust for money they lose over $50 billion in lotteries, horse and dog tracks, casinos, and other gambling venues. Not to mention the continual blasphemy, using God's name as a cuss word, idolatry, and hypocrisy. So the result of sin, it's not that God is up there like a big combat boot looking at America ready to squish it. That's not the view I want you to have. God is set before each of us individually. He sets before every church, and He sets before every nation blessings and curses and it depends on if we're going to obey God's word or disobey his word now let me show you because America has sinned so much there's been an increase of incurable diseases 180, 189,000 new cases of prostate cancer 200,000 breast cancer 2 million people are getting cancer Healthcare costs have skyrocketed to eight times what they were in 1980. What about toxic mold? This has become a serious concern in the U.S. 50,000 new mold-related insurance claims were made in Texas alone in one year. What about drought? ABC News reports uh, recently posted an article stating that 60% of the U.S. is in drought. 
not to mention forest fires that, that are caused by this and many other disasters related. You know, it's interesting that now the news media is using these huge disasters and saying they're on biblical proportions. Have you noticed that? Mental disorders and blindness have increased. 54 million Americans have mental disorders and suicide rates have skyrocketed. There's now cattle diseases. The USDA National Animal Health Monitoring System estimated that 200 to 250 million loss in the dairy industry alone due to diseases. What does the Bible say about childbirth not being blessed? Today in America, one in five pregnancies end in a miscarriage. 800,000 children die in the womb, and that's not including uh, abortion. The national debt, we're over $9 trillion in debt. I could go on about failed marriages. But that's, where, that's what's been going on, and the consequences of those sins, you see it. You can see it with your eyes. You can see the reality of God's Word. And he, he, loves, he loves us, but at the same time, as people have chosen sin and to live in sin, it has allowed the devil to come in to steal, kill, and destroy. But this is what is encouraging to me. We need revival and we need people praying. But let me give you two things. Number one, God would have spared Sodom if there were only ten righteous. And I know there's more than ten righteous here. And not only that, but the Bible says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And there are, there are prayer movements all over this nation. God may be, he may be allowing America to come down as a international sheriff that it's been, but he's not through with America and there's going to be a great revival that is sweeping this land that's going to deal with a lot of these issues. See, people are frustrated and they want, well, I want righteous laws and we want righteous leadership. Okay, but the only way that you're really going to have that really is by God changing the hearts of the people. I know that you want that. I would like that too. But the only way that's really truly going to happen is as revival spreads throughout the nation, people by the hundreds of thousands are accepting Christ as their Savior. The Holy Spirit is now in their lives. Now they're repenting of their sin. Now they realize that abortion was wrong. Now they realize that the sexual sins in their life were wrong. Now they realize the criminal activity they were doing. They repent of that. Do you see what I'm saying? And then these same people are going to go to the voting booths and they're going to be voting differently than they did before. And it's going to, but that's really the only way this is going to happen. But I really believe that this revival is going to be so powerful that we're going to see its effects throughout the whole nation. I believe that. Let me give you a couple miraculous stories. Remember I told you that in times of crisis, America would pray? You know, here before this election, this last election, Pat Robertson called for prayer and fasting. There are over a quarter of a million people that had written in and told them that they were praying and fasting for America. Isn't that encouraging? And that's just their group. Okay, not to mention all these other prayer movements. But listen to this. At the beginning of the Revolutionary War, the King of England blockaded Boston's Harbor on June 1st, 1774. 
Thomas Jefferson drafted a day of fasting to be observed that same day. It was passed through unanimously in the House of Burgesses in Virginia. It stated this house being deeply impressed with apprehension of the great dangers to be derived to British America from the hostile invasion of the city of Boston and our sister colony, Massachusetts, deem it highly necessary that the said day of June be set apart by the members of this house as a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer, devoutly to implore the divine interposition for averting the heavy calamity which threatens destruction to our civil rights. George Washington wrote in his diary that he went to church that day all day and fasted. And we know the outcome of the Revolutionary War. Do you see what I'm saying? There is no way that in and of itself, Britain was such a huge superpower at that time. A lot of you really ought to sit back and think about how miraculous this really was because Britain was a world superpower. And America was just this, the original 13 colonies was really just a baby. And to be able to win that Revolutionary War, you can't tell me that God didn't honor the whole nation prayer, prayer and fasting. Another one was on May 15, 1776, George Washington calls for a day of prayer and fasting because hundreds of British ships filled the New York Harbor. God responded with a dense fog that appeared and allowed 8,000 troops to escape that day. Supernatural intervention. The famous War of 1812, this is my favorite one. On the outset of the war, President James Madison issued a day of prayer and fasting. The British troops invaded our Congress. So here the British troops come in. They invade our Congress. They hold a mock Congress. Okay? Then they went to set it on fire. Suddenly, out of nowhere, dark clouds rolled in. Wind and thunder grew in a frightening roar. And lightning began striking. A tornado touched down, sending debris flying everywhere, blowing off roofs, roofs, knocking down chimneys and walls on British troops. Two cannons were lifted off the ground and dropped yards away. Violent winds slammed horse and rider to the ground. The British could not believe the storm, and the British general asked a nearby woman, and I quote, Great God, madam, is this... Is this the kind of storm to which you are accustomed in this infernal country? I listen to her reply. Her reply, no, no, sir. This is a special interposition of providence to drive our enemies from our city. She recognized God answered their prayers. God answered the prayers of his people that day and gave them supernatural intervention. And the rain put out the fire that they had started. And the British fled. Without God's intervention, the War of 1812 would have been a lot different than what it was. God intervened. More, were, more troops were killed in the storm that day than actually in the war. Let me give you this last one. In India, it is a religious practice to bathe in the sewage-filled waters which produces cholera, the disease cholera. So back... Um, in the early 1800s, the British Empire was the largest empire in the world. It was the largest empire in world history, controlling over 13 million square miles and ruling over half a billion people. In the early 1800s, they built railroads and sent steamboats up the rivers. Unfortunately, individuals infected with cholera 
were able to quickly travel to Europe carrying the, the disease of cholera with them. It killed tens of millions in crowded cities like in England, Ireland, Belgium, Netherlands, Bengal, Iran, Iraq, Algeria, Egypt, Arabia, and Africa. In Russia alone, cholera killed over one million people. Now watch how God intervened. In 1832, the cholera outbreak hit America. It hit New York. From 1832 to 1849, the cholera epidemic had spread all over our East Coast, killing thousands. Henry Clay asked for a joint resolution of Congress to request the President declare a day of public humiliation, prayer, and fasting to be observed by the people of the United States with religious solemnity. On July 3, 1849, President Zachary Taylor proclaimed a national day of prayer and fasting. Right as they prayed, the numbers of death suddenly began to drop. And the, within a month of the president's proclamation, all of a sudden that outbreak broke and cleared up. Isn't that awesome? So God has always intervened. And let me tell you something else. This has been a great land of revival, historically. This nation has seen revival after revival. And God has honored our founding fathers' prayers when they dedicated this nation to Him. you got to understand, the pilgrims that came over were devout Christians. They were totally, 100% sold out for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ and were willing to die for that. And so they came here and they were the ones that founded the original 13 colonies. They dedicated this land to God and earnestly prayed over it. And God has honored that. In the 1700s, we saw the first great awakening as America began to backslide some. You know, now people were visiting saloons. They were getting drunk all the time. They were going to brothels. And God responded by sending a great awakening to our nation. Jonathan Edwards quotes the manifestations in his meeting. You guys know the story. Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and it exploded revival in our whole nation. It just spread like wildfire. Of course, the Wesley brothers, Whitfield, came and they began to preach the gospel. But listen to these manifestations of the Holy Spirit and tell me this doesn't sound like revivals of today. Jonathan Edwards wrote this, When God did as it was suddenly opened their eyes, let into their minds a sense of greatness of His grace, the fullness of Christ, and His readiness to save. Their joyful surprise, they caused their hearts, as it were, to leap, so that they have been ready to break forth into laughter. The laughing. And then he said, Some tears also at the same time issuing like a flood, weeping uncontrollably and loud weeping. It was very frequent. It was a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries, faintings. <laughs> well, let me, let's let's clear up the faintings, okay? That was what they call that's falling under the power, okay? So he was saying in their lingo, he was saying people crying out, falling on the ground. He said convulsions, which he means shaking under the power of God. And such the like, both with distress and also with admir admiration and joy, many many remaining for perhaps a whole 24 hours motionless under the power of God. Isn't that awesome? And with their senses locked up. But in the meantime, under a strong imagination, as though they went to heaven, 
and had visions of glorious and delightful objects. In other words, they were having visions of heaven and Jesus was showing them things. This was happening in his meetings. John Wesley recognized falling to the ground as a manifestation from God and records many such instances in his ministry. In fact, George Whitfield criticized Wesley for, for permitting the phenomena until it began happening in his own meetings. Let me give you one real quick about the Second Great Awakening. In the 1800s, Charles Finney began to go, go throughout America preaching the gospel to the lost, and the Second Great Awakening sparked. This awakening was very powerful and swept our land, and it was God's grace before the Civil War. He was known for his fiery preaching and calling sinners to repentance. It was reported in his meetings that there would be waves of electricity of God's power that would sweep through it. People would fall under conviction and lay motionless in a fetal position and have to be carried to the altar under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now just imagine that. People are all sitting there. And Finney's preaching against sin. And the, the anointing of God is so strong that people in a seated position, grown men in a seated position, would fall on the ground groaning. They weren't saved. They didn't know how to pray. You know, they didn't know what to do. All they know is, is now something has gripped them and they're on the ground groaning. And they would have to be, the, the ushers, <laughs> Finney's ushers, would go and pick them up and carry them to the altar and set them down so they could get saved. That's how strong the conviction of the Holy Spirit was. That we could see that level of conviction of the Holy Spirit now. I love this one. The 1801, the Great Cambridge Revival broke out in Cambridge, Kentucky. I heard, um, this happened to me one time, and so when I heard Pastor John Kilpatrick talking about this, I thought, wow. He said he went to the, um, the area where this revival took place. And he said, man, he said, that was a holy place. He said when his feet hit that soil and he was standing there, he said he felt from the ground, he felt fire split up from that ground and shoot up his calves. He said this was a place that God moved powerfully. Let me give you a little bit about the Great Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky. 1801. The revival of August 1801 at Cane Ridge was the climatic event of the Western Great Revival. It was estimated by military personnel that some 20,000 to 30,000 persons of all ages representing various cultures and economic levels traveled on foot and on horseback, many bringing wagons and tents and camping provisions. Because of the numbers of people attending um, and the length of the meeting, Cane Ridge has become the metaphor of the Great Revival. Historical accounts recall the contagious fervor which characterized the meetings that continued day and night. Descriptions abound of individuals taken by great emotion, falling to the ground, crying aloud in prayer and song, rising to exhort and assist others in their uh, responses to the moment. Worship, like spontaneous worship, continued well into the week following the serving of communion on Sunday, in fact, until provisions for humans and horses ran out. This is my favorite part. Some of you have already heard this, but an atheist wrote about this revival when he visited. Now, I want you to understand this is an atheist that wrote this, okay? So he's sitting back spectating this move of God. And he said this about it. He said, the noise was like a roar of Niagara. He said, the vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. 
Some of the people were singing, others praying, some crying for mercy in the piteous accents. While witnessing these scenes, a peculiar, strange sensation, such as I'd never felt before, came over me. My heart started beating tumultuously, my knees trembled, my lip quivered, and I felt as though I must fall down to the ground, and a strange supernatural power seemed to invade my mind. At one time, I saw at least 500 swept down to the ground in a moment, as if a battery of a thousand guns had been opened on them, and then immediately followed shrieks and shouts that rent the very heavens. That's an atheist reporting his experience at the Cane Ridge Revival. And of course, in the mid-1800s, revival seemed to continue with D.L. Moody. It was reported people fell to the floor under the power of God and wept openly in Moody's meetings. In fact, Ari Tori fell under the power when he was baptizing the Holy Spirit there. But anyway, I just wanted to show you that this land has been a land of great, great revival, and God's not through. He's not through at all. And you can read later in history. I don't want to get into it because you're so familiar with the Azusa Street Revival. But think about Azusa Street. And then in recent times, the Great Brownsville Revival. The third great awakening is upon us. But one of the things I want you to understand is God has not initiated any type of covenant with America. But God has honored, though, the prayers of our, fa- our forefathers, and he's honoring the prayers of his people today. God has a covenant with the nation of Israel, and he has a covenant with Christians, but he does not have any type of a binding covenant with the nation of America. So doesn't that show you his love and mercy that he's still sending us revival? Amen? America has stood by Israel historically. I talked about that last week, so I don't want to get back into it. I want to show you something about prayer being taken out of schools. And then I'm going to start closing this thing out. Did you know that there was a time, some of you will have a hard time believing this, but there was a time before 1963 that we used to pray. The teachers would open their Bible in public schools. I want want some of you young people to really hear me about this because this is going to blow your mind. The teachers would open their Bible in public schools and they would pray this prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee. We beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. And that's how they start. Now I want you to hear what I'm about to say. After prayer was removed from schools in 1963, the three greatest problems in schools before 1963 were talking, gum chewing, and noise. Okay, the three. Listen, the three greatest problems in school in the 1990s were rape, robbery, and assault. Not to mention the drug use and sexual promiscuity. <clears throat> I got some charts here after 1963. You see a radical increase in divorce rates. The SAT scores after 1963 plummet. You know, I've often said this, and I believe it with all my heart, that people are getting out of school now with what my parents would have had at at an 8th grade, maybe even a 6th grade education. But that's what they're graduating high school with now. I believe that. 
look at the increase of violent crimes, the increase of premarital sex, and I didn't have, I didn't want to take the space on here to put this, but there was also an, a major increase in sexually transmitted diseases as well. Many prophets have seen a coming perfect storm. I'm just going to read this something that, that God's put on my heart, but I've often said that the judgments of end time birth pangs will be so severe that many will think that it is the tribulation. In reality, it is the perilous times in the beginning of the birth pangs that Jesus spoke of. The perilous times Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 3 deal with the evil nature of humanity reaching an unprecedented level. The birth pangs the Lord spoke about deal primarily with military, economic, political, and geophysical turmoil. See, what you got to understand is the seals are being opened. And the result, and we're seeing the perilous times. And things, things seem to be getting worse where, like I said earlier, the media is recording storms and saying these dangerous storms are on biblical proportions and they're using that word. That phrase. Isn't that interesting? And some people, I knew this was going to happen, but some people, because these things are happening, are thinking that we're already in the tribulation, but we're not. Let me skip down. It seems to indicate in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the church will see the rise of the Antichrist and see the great falling away before we're raptured. We're already seeing the great falling away. Here are some things that prophets have seen will happen in the near future. Maybe the next decade or two. They don't give specific dates and it's different prophetic people. But they have seen weird weather patterns. When it snows, when it shouldn't. It's hot when it shouldn't be. It's just weird, weird weather patterns. And you know, we've already seen some of that. Some of these prophecies I'm giving you were given a while back. And we're already seeing some of them answered. Or some of them seen, rather. Aggressive storms. That there would be a volcano eruption. One prophet saw a 500 mile wide hurricane. Blight in some crops. Tornadoes. Increased earthquakes. Possibly an avian flu epidemic. But one prophet said he saw an epidemic, whether it was the avian flu or not, that would affect the world. One prophetic person saw an increase of mosquitoes. And interesting that now we're seeing this whole West Nile virus issue. See, this was spoken of years ago. And also, and some of you need to hear me that like to, you know, lay out in the sun, but it's been said by the prophets that sun rays will become increasingly more dangerous and will affect skin in a way that has never happened before. And doctors won't know what to do with it because it's new. It's a new problem. Also, they've seen turmoil and nuclear war in the Middle East. They, see, they saw Russia will begin to seek world dominance and China will eventually rise in great power in the Far East. And the Bible predicts these things anyway. There will be a short time of economic blessing so that God's people can prepare. The dollar is losing its value. Possibly a new currency arising and new fuel sources. Large ministries going bankrupt. One prophet also saw that we really need to pray for Obama. Because there could be an assassination attempt. 
He saw great riots in the streets like America's never seen. And Islam trying to increase and get into the White House and in schools like never before. Terrorism increasing and political corruption being exposed. But he also saw hidden sexual sins in the body of Christ being exposed by God and God dealing with sin. So how can we respond to these difficult times? This is before the rapture. This is certainly before the tribulation. This is the perilous times, the beginning of birth pains that the Bible said would happen in the last days. We are living in those times. God chose for you to live in these times. Of all the times you could have been born, you could have been born somewhere in the Middle East thousands of years ago, God chose that you would be living where you are, born where you are, alive in this generation for a reason. So how are we going to respond and arise to the occasion and be used by God in a powerful way? Number one, let me tell you about the difficult times ahead. Number one, be faithful in your tithing. It is already obvious those that faithfully tithe, you can see God's blessing. And those that don't, you can see they struggle. But I believe that it's going to become increasingly that way in the days ahead. Number two. See, some people have the attitude like, well, times get tough. I need to hoard wealth and stop giving. Let me give you two words right there. Big mistake. In fact, I probably should say very big mistake. You don't stop giving. That is how blessings pour back into your life. So number one, as you're faithful in your tithing in the days to come, God is going to supernaturally continue to rebuke the devourer from you. Open the heavens and pour out so many blessings, there's not room enough to contain it. But let me give you some more things. The blessing... Blessing Israel, especially financially, but blessing Israel. The Bible says God will bless those that bless Israel. In the book of Acts, it was recorded that there was a prophecy given that there would be a famine. And so the way that Paul and others responded was, they got the Gentiles, the Gentile churches that he had planted, to take up an offering that he was then going to take and give to the Jewish brethren in Israel. Why? You know why? Because Paul understood if he could get the Gentiles to bless Israel, that whenever the famine came, they would be blessed. And he knew, you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 8-9, through 9, he was telling them to be generous in their giving. Because he said, with the same measure that you give, it will be measured back to you. And remember the woman of Zarephath. So here comes Elijah to this widow woman. She was poor. She had enough meal and oil to make her and her son another couple flapjacks, okay? And after they ate their little flapjacks, they were planning on dying. That was it. And Elijah comes in and says, woman, make me a meal. I'm hungry. And she's thinking, prophet of God, you don't understand. This is my last flapjack. Okay, this is it. This, this is it for me and my son. We're going to cook this and eat this and we're going to die. And Elijah said, but if you'll give it to me, watch what the Lord will do. And she went in and she baked him. I call it a flapjack, whatever it was. She baked him a meal with that, with that um, grain and that oil. And the Bible says that as she used that, that it supernaturally came back into the jars. 
And then from that day forward, throughout the whole famine, she kept cooking and it kept reappearing. So imagine you go in your refrigerator and you dump out the last bit of milk and you put that empty carton back in your refrigerator, shut the door and come back the next day and you open it and milk is back in there. And then you use it up and then it's there again the next day. That's the same type of thing that's going on. When she was willing to give, God blessed her to where she was supernaturally provided for through that famine. Be led by the Spirit. I was so encouraged because somebody, I'd seen this with somebody that came and they were going through a financial trial and they'd asked me to pray for them. I was praying for them. And they came to me and said, and it really encouraged me to see this spiritual maturity. But they came to me and said, God told me to do this. And they had, had written out a check and it was to go to bless the poor and to Israel and all of that. And I said, okay. And they gave it to me in confidence. It was a private thing. And I said, okay, I'll take care of it for you. And sure enough, God supernaturally moved on that person's behalf and opened up supernaturally provision. It's, it's about being led by the Spirit. And it wasn't that the check was a huge amount or anything. It was just being obedient to the Lord. Also, Psalms 41, you should read that. It talks about those that give alms to the poor because it says those that regard the weak and the weak there is poor. You should read the promises. When people live, I'm trying to help you with these scriptures because in the days ahead, you need God's blessing on your money. But God's will is that we prosper. And Proverbs 8, 18, look at this. It says, riches and honor are with me, durable riches and righteousness. You know what durable riches mean? It means that it works better and lasts longer than it should. Do you remember the nation of Israel? When they were in the wilderness, they wandered all those years and their clothes never got holes in them. Their sandals never wore out. It was supernatural. Things that should have wore out didn't wear out. Some people, it's sad, but it seems like the opposite's true. Like every time they get money, it's like they put it in a pocket with a hole in it and it's gone. That's, that's not the way God wants us to live. Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, For he, the Lord... That gives you the power to gain wealth. I love that scripture. The Lord gives you the power, the supernatural ability to gain wealth. And Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. You know, the world, sometimes they'll get wealthy, but there's a lot of sorrow attached with it. But with God, when God brings you prosperity and abundance, there's no sorrow that is connected to that increase. And I want to encourage people about a few things. Please hear me. Those that have a portfolio and you're into investments, use wisdom and really be led by the Spirit. Because what's happening is, in these last days, is the world's... It's, the Bible calls it the Babylonian system of the world. The world's governments are beginning to come together. The currencies are beginning to come together. And you really want to use wisdom about how you're investing your money into that system. Not to mention it's unstable. And so if you feel like that you need to be investing, you feel led to do it, you really need to pray and use wisdom where and when to pull it. If you'll hear from God, you can really prosper. But if you're just doing it at the wisdom of man, at the advice of someone, just at the wisdom of man alone, you may suffer loss. 
Let me encourage you because of the days ahead that you do everything you can to get out of debt and don't put too much faith in the dollar. Let me explain what I mean. If I came to you and I told you I have a million pesos, I'm a millionaire, I got a million pesos. You would think to yourself, well, that sounds like a lot, don't it? But a million pesos is only worth $75,000. So, I mean, if you're, if you see what I'm saying? I could go around saying, hey, I'm a millionaire. I've got a million pesos in my bank account right now. A million pesos, it would be the equivalent of $75,000. So, in the days ahead, somebody could say, I've got a million dollars set up in my retirement. That's wonderful. But what if it's only worth what we know today is $250,000? Because the value of the dollar has gone down. So what can you do? One of the things I believe you can do is this. Buy the things that you're going to need and get out of debt. But have the things that you're going to need. Like a good house. You see what I'm saying? Get some things and pay it off. Get out of debt. Own it. Because in the days to come, some people... They're in debt to their eyeballs, and they, this is their philosophy in life. Hey, you only live once, let's just have fun. And they want to go out and buy all these jet skis and these boats. They want to take expensive vacations. They want to have the fastest car. They want to have a house they don't need that's huge. And they, they want all these things, and they're in debt to their eyeballs. And those type of people, when the economy goes down, they're going to suffer loss. In fact, some of them may lose everything. Everything. But people that have wisdom, and they're not like that, they're not greedy about things and have idols in their heart, then they're going to be practical. When they go to buy a car, they're not just looking at, hey, look how fast that thing's going to be, how nice it looks. They're not going to think about just that. They're going to think about, is it going to get good gas mileage? Is, is it going to be dependable? Is it going to stay out of the shop? Is it going to be good on insurance? And they're practical, and that's godly wisdom right there. Because in the days ahead when things go down... Those that have used wisdom are going to be sound and God's going to be able to continue to bless them and make them a blessing to other people. That's the way I believe God wants it to be. In the days ahead, make sure that you draw close to the Lord and develop a relationship with Him because you need to hear His voice. The Bible says, His sheep hear His voice. Get in revival and stay there. The glory of God brings protection and prosperity. Did you hear that? The Bible says the glory will be a defense. And it is, Paul talked about armor of light. The glory in these last days is going to arise and shine on God's people. It's going to be around our lives. It is a glory, manifest presence of God that is going to protect you. And let me tell you this story. David brought the ark to Jerusalem. On his way, the ox cart stumbled. A man named Uzzah touched it. He died. David got scared. He took the ark over to a man's house who was a Hittite. He wasn't even a Jew. His name was Obed-Edom. He put the ark in the guy's house. Obed-Edom, because the glory was in his house, his house prospered. In fact, it prospered so much that King David, who was a king, you know, he had all this prosperity around him. He was jealous of what he saw and he wanted to go get that ark. Where the glory of God is, I'm telling you, there's protection there's health, and there's prosperity. There's prosperity. God will prosper. You need the glory in your life. The way the glory comes is by really sanctifying your life and sanctifying your home 
and, let, and asking the glory to come. But the glory is not going to be where there's sin and compromise and hypocrisy. God is not fooled and He doesn't have double standards. Another thing, I believe people need to stockpile some non-perishable food. I believe that's wisdom. I do. Get some canned goods. Get some non-perishable food. Get some non, get some uh, bottled water. And maybe whatever you know survival equipment that you feel like you need. But I know for me, I have extra propane tanks because if the electricity is out for a few days, still have hot meals. It's just thinking about things like that. A lot of prophets have advised God's people to do this. And let me tell you something. You may say, well, we're in Texas and, and it may not hit. It, a lot of the prophecies are about the coasts and different places. But let me tell you, it's not. it can be like where there's an earthquake in the Midwest or something and then semi-trucks can't get here. Do you see what I'm saying? And then everybody's going to make a mad rush to the local Walmarts and Targets and you'll walk in there and it's like a ghost town. There's the manager and one employee and all the food's gone. You know? And so I encourage you to go ahead and use godly wisdom and have some of those things in your possession. Because there may come a time when you need them. And if you don't need them, then just use them. You know? Another thing, don't react, don't overreact to media hype. How many knows the media's motto is sensationalism sells? Another thing is simplify your life and cut back on unnecessary spending. In other words, to be able to get out of debt and pay off some things. If you got some debt on a credit card, cut back in some areas and pay that off. These will help you in the days to come. But I'm going to tell you one of the things that encourages me. God honors our heritage in the prayers of our founding fathers. You're standing on the shoulders of of some amazing men and women of God who lived before you. Another thing that encourages me is God desires mercy over judgment. God does not want judgment. He doesn't want destruction. He doesn't want America destroyed. You listen to some of these people that say they're prophets and they're all gloom and doom and all that. Man, that's not true. the true heart of God and that's not true prophecy. It's really not. It's not the word of the Lord. God desires to send revival to this nation. And he is going to move in an awesome way. He's not up there wanting to pour out judgment. He wants to pour out mercy. That's the heart of God. But I do believe there's some negative things that are coming because of our sin. See, when the nation sins, it causes the blessing of God to lift. I want you to see this. It's like a hand, my hand lifting up. The blessing of God lifts, and that area right there now is open for the enemy to come in and hit. you see what I'm saying? That's not God up there, a combat boot, trying to squish anybody. That is simply our sin has consequences. Historically, when we have humbled ourselves and prayed and fasted, God has intervened supernaturally. I gave you a, some stories about that. But there are many in this nation, be encouraged, there are many in this nation that are praying and fasting. This is a nation that we have 24-7 prayer and fasting going on in some places. This is a nation where people like Lou Engel have spearheaded hundreds of thousands of people meeting in different locations and praying and fasting. Be encouraged by this because God hears this. God, another thing that's encouraged me is God has promised revival. But let me tell you something else about prophecy. Some people have this attitude about prophecy like, well, if you get a prophetic word, 
then you can just fold that piece of paper up. You can stick in your underwear drawer. You can shut the drawer and just go on about your life. And if it's meant to be, it'll just one day just fall out of the sky and hit you around the forehead. Listen, that it's not like that. God wants us, when He gives us a prophetic word, and it really is a word of the Lord, He wants us to lay hold of it by faith and pray it through. And that's why I'm telling you, we need to lay hold. This is important that people hear me on this. We need to lay hold of the promise of revival in America. Lay hold of that and pray it through. Don't just sit around passively thinking, well, you know, if God's going to do it, He'll just do it. It'll just... That we need to lay hold and press in. God will be also merciful to America because America will for a time continue to help keep peace internationally to some degree, at least for now. Remember to be, be encouraged by what I said earlier that God would have spared Sodom for only ten righteous and how there are hundreds of thousands of people praying and fasting in this nation and hundreds of thousands of people that are righteous. I've personally, I personally sense heaven invading earth and heaven's intervention on our behalf in America. I sense it. But here's some things. This is what I want to close with right here. God is needing us as his people. The Bible says to humble yourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways and he'll heal our land. <laughs> the body of Christ has got to be holy and pure and God's got to do a work in us. The Bible says that judgment begins in the house of God. Statistics show that the church is just as guilty of hidden sexual sins as the world. I want you all to hear me about this. Over half of the leadership of churches, this is across the board, and when you say leadership, it includes anybody in leadership, admit to having sexual struggles and addictions in their lives, especially in the area of pornography. 64% of church-going men have said they have visited porn sites within the last year. A woman by the name of Shelley Hitz has written an incredible book, and she records that one-fourth of women in churches struggle with pornography. One-fourth of women. According to statistics published by, edu by Education Database Online in 2011, 40 million people regularly visit porn sites, and one-third of them are women. One-third. That's amazing. It's sad. There's a man by the name of Michael Kimmel who studies pornography and teaches sexuality at the State University of New York in Stony Brook. This is what he said. He's been teaching this stuff for years. Okay, But he said 20 years ago, female students would, would say, oh, that's disgusting when you brought up a topic like pornography in class. He said 20 years ago, some men would sheepishly admit to using porn. But today, he said... Men are open about it, and women now resemble the attitude the men used to have. Do you see the progression? One in every six women in America have been sexually assaulted at some point. Sex slavery has become a huge, international, multi-million dollar industry that few know anything about. The sex industry, the body of Christ, has really risen up to try to help with this. But there's an international issue. Some countries have children that their parents very willingly allow their little girls that are like eight, nine years old to be used as prostitutes because it, it, it helps to finance their family. 
right now all over the all over the nations of the world women are being kidnapped i'm talking there are reports of good wholesome because you think a lot of times when you drive down the street and you see a prostitute on the side you think well they chose to use drugs and they chose this that and lie it's not always the case there are reports of women young women that are being kidnapped even from their front lawn in a suburban area and being taken into sex slavery and they keep them on drugs and they keep them um, in chains and they take them from place to place and abuse them and use them see a lot of people don't even know stuff's going on it's going on by the hundreds of thousands all over the world it's a huge multi-million dollar industry right now the introduction to pornography usually begins with a seemingly innocent experience like an ad that is seen or a picture that is stumbled upon focus on the family reported that in 2005 half the songs on the top 10 uh, selling CDs contain sexually perverted contents and the infamous serial killer Ted Bundy stated that pornography started him on the path that he ended up on we've got to make sure you know the book of Job records by the cleanness of our hands we deliver other people. We've got to make sure that our lives are pure. You know, we can't hope as a church to be a, a, a haven of people being healed and people being delivered unless there's holiness. How many knows that purity is what precedes power? When you read in Ecclesiastes, it talks about the ointment being, you know, a fly in the ointment. You know what I'm talking about? It talks about flying the ointment where there's defilement. We've got to make sure that we are pure vessels that the Holy Spirit can flow through and there's not this compromise in this stuff in our lives that's blocking the flow and is also grieving the Holy Spirit and causing the glory to lift. Now I'm going to tell you something else. There's a big difference in just having an anointing and having the glory. An anointing is powerful, but when you get an atmosphere of the glory that settles in, there's a weightiness, there's a heaviness of God's manifest presence, His glory, that is a very powerful thing. But a lot of ministries and churches and ministers are just operating under the anointing. But see, the glory will not rest unless there's holiness. It will not. I'm telling you, you may still carry yesterday's anointing. And you may still operate out of gifts. The gift and calling is without repentance. You may still get a prophetic word. If, there, if somebody has sinned in their life, they may still have an anointing from the, that's been on their life and still be able to prophesy accurately. But God will not let His glory rest where there's sin. He won't do it. And if sin persists, the glory will leave. And we need the glory in these last days. Let me tell you something. We've got whatever it takes. We've got to die to our past sins as Christians. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ through me. And there are certain things that you say to yourself, I cannot do this. That's okay. Because the Bible says that Jesus bore in his body your sin, that you can die to it. And the Holy Spirit will do it through you. You can't do it. God knows that. But the Holy Spirit can arise within you and he can do it through you. He can give you strength and grace. But we've got to learn to die to our, our past sins. We've got to learn to renew our mind. What you're entertaining in your mind creates a stronghold and it's a bondage to the it can become a bondage that the enemy is over. We've got to learn in the body of Christ to rebuke the enemy and quit putting up with things. 
When the enemy comes in to tempt you and he's putting things in your head, and I'm talking about sexual purity right now, so let's say that it's sexually perverted thoughts. When that stuff's coming into your mind, you need to bind that spirit and say, get out of here in Jesus' name. Go through personal deliverance and inner healing. Make sure you do that and, and shut every door, okay? Fasting and prayer. The Bible says these come out by prayer and fasting. Sometimes there's stubborn issues that take prayer and fasting to get victory. Get anything out of your life that's a stumbling block. This is a big one. Matthew 18, 9 says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Let me explain what Jesus meant. Some people, they can't handle having a computer. You guys ever seen the movie Fireproof? You remember how he couldn't handle it? He took that thing out and beat it with a bat. Listen, that's seriously, that's what Jesus is talking about. It's saying if something, if your eye offends you, if there's something in your life that's causing you to stumble, get it out of your life. Jesus said it would be better for you to go to heaven with one eye than go to hell with both. It's better for you to live without a computer than end up in hell because of your computer. And it may be something else. It may be movies. It may be whatever it is that is a stumbling block to you. Whatever that is, pluck it out of your life. Kill it. Get it out. Another thing is we've got to be persistent into new patterns. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. As, as you get rid of these things in your life, begin to be persistent in a new pattern of righteous living. And over time, you will be able to sustain that. I had a vision one time, one time of a, a young woman that was very young in the Lord. And the Lord gave me a vision because he wanted me to be patient with this person. And I saw this person trying to serve the Lord, and they were on roller skates, but they were totally out of control. I mean, they were going all over the place, you know. And the Lord was showing me, this person loves me, but they're not stable yet. They're, they're falling here and there. They're... So as you develop persistence, faithfulness, and you're persistent in a new way of living, a righteous living, then God will help you to get established in that. Another thing that may help you is to have an accountability partner. The Bible says in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And sometimes having somebody in your life that you can confide in and they will pray with you is a very powerful thing. And you need that. But this is how I want to close things out. Revival. We need... Throughout our land and throughout churches, we need to, to declare sacred and solemn assemblies of prayer, fasting, and repentance throughout our nation. And I'm encouraged because it is happening. Leonard Ravenhill, in an interview, a rare interview that I happen to see, said that this mainline Pentecostal denomination, he said most of the churches in that denomination, the glory is not there. He said you can go into the overwhelming majority of those churches next Sunday, and he said there's no glory there's no atmosphere. He said, what would it be like if all those churches across that whole denomination were to declare a sacred fast and repentance and ask for the glory to come back? That's the type of thing that we need. is true, widespread prayer, fasting, and repentance. <coughs> Prayers of repentance, not only for our sins, but the sins of our nation and the sins of our fathers. Did you know every time Israel saw a great revival, look it up, they confessed their sins and the sins of their fathers. Every time. 
The church must see a powerful move of God. The church must also stand for God's word and contend for the faith. I'm tired of people watering it down, making it wishy-washy, trying to make it palatable, palatable to the world. That's not our job. Our job is to preach the word. And if some people get offended at the word, then that's their problem. And we're also going to have to go after souls. When revival is coming into full flame, it's not there yet, we are going to have to go after souls with all of our heart. It's just like a surfer. When the wave hits, you better get on your board and ride the wave. And as soon as revival is reaching a full flame and we're catching that wind behind us, we're going to have to go after souls. Because what God is wanting us to do is maximize this opportunity. I want to make sure and get this on recordings. He wants us to maximize the opportunity. While the windows of heaven are open over our nation, He wants us to go after as many souls as we can and win as many as we can while that window of grace is open. Because it won't always be open. While revival's here, we're going to have to get everything accomplished during that time that we can. Keys to victory. This is what I, the last thing I want to show you. This is a very small nugget. I've actually got a sermon. I'm going to preach on this on a much bigger scale. But the blood of Jesus. If you have stubborn issues in your life, let me give you four things that will help you. Say, because I was talking about sexual purity. If there's something in your life that you feel like is still stubborn, number one is apply the blood. Where the blood of Jesus is, God's at work. And the enemy is fleeing. The enemy hates the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. So let's say that there was something in somebody's life like they had persistent, um, unclean thoughts. So they could come before God and say, Lord, forgive me for those thoughts. Let your blood cover that area of my mind. Do you see where I'm going? You're getting washed and covered in the blood. Keep doing this. Number two, ask that the Holy Spirit fill that area and change that. See, the Holy Spirit will come in and by His fire, He'll supernaturally burn things out that need to go. Are you hearing me? The Holy Spirit will burn it out. He'll change. He'll cleanse. He will heal. He will deliver. But we need the work of the Holy Spirit. The next thing is, the Lord knows that you can't do it in your own strength. If you'll hear me, about what I'm telling you. If you'll really get this, it'll change your life. Then ask that the Holy Spirit do it through you. The Bible says He gives grace to the humble. If you used to not be a bold witness, then say, Lord, forgive me for not sharing my faith the way I need to. I'm asking you that your Spirit fill me and change me and come do it through me. I can't do it, but you can. Are you seeing? If you used to stumble and you were around people and, and they caused you to stumble into sin, then you need to maybe get rid of those people. But regardless, you could say, Holy Spirit, help me. Come do this through me. I can't do this. I don't have the strength, but you do. It applies to every area of life. The Holy Spirit will do it through you. He will make weak places strong. He will give you the grace to stand. And then the last thing is, ask the Lord to release His angels. I really believe in the ministry of angels. When they are at work, so many more things are going to get accomplished. They really do. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, release your angels to remove whatever needs to go, whatever is a hindrance. Get it out of the way. 
so that I can be free. And that may mean that they help bring a breakthrough in you. Or it may mean that they help bring a breakthrough around you. But the ministry of angels. Ask the Lord to send his angels to remove every hindrance out of the way. To drive away everything that's not of him and help to bring a breakthrough. Those four things will change your life. And some of you need grace in these areas. Strong, strong anointing tonight. Strong glory. God is is already bringing revival to our land. Things are going to look a lot different down the road. In the natural, America is coming down some so that Bible prophecy can be fulfilled. But in the spirit, it's like a second temple experience. Where the second temple was not as glorious as the first temple, but it says that the actual glory, the manifest presence of God, was greater on the latter house than it was the former. So even though it wasn't as beautiful as Solomon's temple in the natural, it had a greater glory. And I believe that's going to be the way America is. It's not going to be as beautiful on the outside, the economy and all that, but the move of God is going to be more glorious.